If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Genesis, the second chapter, Genesis, the second chapter, and I want to read a little bit from the second and third chapter here. In Genesis, the second chapter, starting about verse 23, it says this, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So I want to start right there for just a minute. And I hopefully, hopefully I can paint a picture of, uh, you know, things that happened in the Garden of Eden at this time and what would fall shortly after this time. Now, it's a little uncomfortable to talk about just because of the world we live in, but it is beyond my comprehension um, to live in a place like Adam and Eve did where they would be completely unclothed and have no shame whatsoever. Completely unclothed and have no shame. Now, we know from this point on what happened was uh, that they fell in the garden, meaning that they broke the one law that God gave them to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they do that. And when they do that, things change for them. And what you find very shortly after that, this man and woman who were able to walk around unclothed, all of a sudden they have an emotion pop up inside of them that only sin can produce. And that is the feeling of shame, being ashamed. So on this side of of breaking that law, they didn't even know what that felt like. They had no comprehension of what it felt like to feel shame and embarrassment. Then all of a sudden they sin in the garden and now they have this emotion that they just can't really uh, understand because it's new to them. But they understand it well enough to, uh, to know that they need to make some adjustments. So they begin to feel this, and what's one of the first things they do? They begin to hide from God, right? So sin has produced shame, which is what sin does, and that shame drives them to run from the Lord. And God says to them, um, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Now remember, Shortly before this, that was not even a thought in their mind. But now they're running and they're hiding from God. If you go on a little bit over in chapter 3, you find another adjustment that they make based on this sin. And it says, um, let's see if I can find it here. I had it here. In verse 20 of chapter 3. We read about, before this part, we read about Adam and Eve in in an effort to make an adjustment for their shame. They get fig leaves and they sew them together to make garments to cover themselves. Now, I want you to remember, once they sinned, shame was not the only emotion that sin brought to them. When they sinned, they became just like you and I. And they had the same struggles and, and the same, you know, the same things that would irritate and frustrate us, all of a sudden they're irritated, they're frustrated, they're mad. They find themselves arguing with one another. And they're like, what is, what have we become? We, we, we don't even understand what arguing is. We don't even understand what irritation is, but I'm feeling these things and I, I just want to lash out at you. And it's because of sin. So they, 
sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves. Now let's be real about it. And I'm not meaning this to be funny, but I want you to just in your mind, imagine what that would have been like to have fig leaves covering your shame. Okay. If they're anything like us, which they were, you know that fig leaves are not going to last a long time, right? They're going to rip and they're going to tear and they're not going to be comfortable. Well, all of a sudden Eve has become this sinful, corrupt creature. And don't you know, at some point she probably was, or maybe it was Adam. They were probably asleep one night, flipping and rolling. And one of them looked at the other and said, well, can't you be still? What's wrong with you? And the other one was like, it's these, it's these fig leaves. They're itchy and they bother me. And I can't sleep like this. And then Eve says, Adam, I've torn my fig leaves again. Would you please go get more fig leaves and let's sew them together? I hate this. You know that happened because they're just like us. They probably fought like cats and dogs thinking we lived in a place where we walked around completely unclothed and we had no shame. And now all of a sudden we are fighting these fig leaves to make them uh, uh, continually. It is a continual effort to keep fig leaves that are not torn and tattered. You know, it was misery. If you don't think so, start wearing fig leaves. And see how long they last. See how comfortable they are. You know that caused a great discord between Adam and Eve. And I don't know how this happened. But in my own mind, this is how I imagine this playing out. After the fig leaves, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Now, I don't know exactly how that played out, but I want you to remember Adam had a different relationship with animals then than we probably have now. God brought the animals to Adam. Adam named the animals. And I wonder... If one night of tossing and turning and huffing and puffing over these itchy, scratchy, falling apart fig leaves, maybe they woke up and they and they and they looked and laying there neatly folded were garments made from animal coats, animal skins. And I wonder did he walk out of whatever dwelling he lived in. And I wonder if he saw the carcasses of the animals that had to die that he had previously named skinned in order to provide him a proper garment. I wonder if he saw blood on the ground and carcasses and then yet over here these neatly folded garments that he could put on and his wife could put on and wear to cover their shame. I'm an animal person. I like animals. And I could imagine if that's how that happened, or even if it didn't happen that way, he understood that animals died in order to cover his shame. That he probably was a little bit heartbroken about that. It was probably another argument between Adam and Eve. Adam, you know, they're arguing about fig leaves. Now they've got coats of skin. And Eve is like, if you hadn't have done this, these animals wouldn't have had to die to cover our shame. It's just a constant argument. But God clothed them with coats of skin. Now, animal skin. 
I want you to ask yourself this question. <clears throat> Have you ever done anything that you are ashamed of? Have you ever done anything that you are ashamed of? Of course you have. I have. Sin <clears throat> breeds shame. That's what sin brings forth. One of, one of sin's children is shame. And we see that in the Garden of Eden. Shame is an interesting thing. We can do things that bring shame to ourselves. You know, the Bible talks about uh, a man that sleepeth in harvest bringeth himself to shame. Laziness brings us shame, right? The Bible talks about a man that answereth a matter before he heareth it. It is folly and shame unto him. A lot of that going on. The Bible talks about <clears throat> the Bible talks about a man that refuses instruction, which is a hard head. A hard-headed person brings shame to himself. So shame is something we're all very familiar with. Have you ever felt ashamed of some of the things that you've done? And shame not only affects the, the things that we, not only affects the person, shame just kind of filters out and can affect a lot of people. <clears throat> Have you ever been ashamed of something maybe one of your family members did? Have you ever been ashamed or have your family members ever been ashamed of something you did? You know, you hear all the time people talk about, uh, you know, a person in their family or their friend, their husband or wife, their children, or their parents. They're doing things that people don't even want to talk about because it's so embarrassing to them. Right. Let's look at Luke, the 15th chapter for just a second and look at a biblical example of that. In Luke, the 15th chapter. Very familiar here. About the prodigal son. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 11. And it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. Now, again, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not trying to make my imagination Bible, but I want you to think about this. Obviously, this man was very wealthy. He obviously had a lot of stuff. And if one of my children comes along to me and says, uh, hey, dad, I want the, 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 the part of inheritance that's going to fall to me. I'm going to need some sort of plan. Right. If you go to a bank to borrow money, they say, I need a business plan. If you're going to start a business, I imagine maybe this young man came to him and said, hey, dad, I've got some ideas. I would like to start this business. Or I would like to take this money and I would like to do something with it. I would like to go buy land and start farming and sell those crops. I doubt that his father just willy-nilly handed him over his inheritance. He probably had some sort of plan together, right? <clears throat> and it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living the bible will go on to tell us later that a lot of that money went to uh to harlots this man was was going into prostitutes and harlots and he was uh wasting away his money his inheritance on all the revelry of the world he was probably uh spending all his money on alcohol and prostitutes and just all manner of wicked things now <clears throat> How do you think this? All right, so, so here you got a father and you got a brother and you've got a, a, another son uh, that has gone off. Now, you know, this father that remains and his son that remains, you know that he had people come by 
and want to talk to him. So he comes by and they stop by and they see him coming up the road. And they say, hey, man, how's everything going? Well, good. Where's your younger son at? You know the father felt ashamed. You know he did. And he probably didn't want to talk about it. But if he had talked about it, he said, well, <clears throat> I gave him his inheritance. And I thought he had a good idea. I thought he was going to be wise and a good steward with his money. But he has gone off. And the last that I heard from him, you know, he was bouncing from house to house and, and spending his money on prostitutes. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I heard that he had uh, 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 joined himself with one of the men of his country. And his job is to feed the hogs. And you know that father probably wanted to hang his head a little bit. You see, the son brought shame to his father. Are you with me on that? So the things that we do can bring shame to other people. And, and, and if these men are anything like we are today, you know that father felt some shame. Don't you know that father would have much rather said, man, younger son's doing awesome. I gave him his inheritance. He took it. He bought some land. He, he, he cultivated it. He got crops growing. He sold that. He made some money on that. Went and bought more land, even bigger land. Now he's got this great farming industry over here and he's doing great. He's doing well. He would much rather have said that. What about the brother here? Hey man, how's your younger brother doing? Not good. He's brought shame to our family. You know, one of the things that I try to tell our kids, teach our kids, <clears throat> is that when you go out and you're around other people, that you represent more than yourself. I try to teach them that you represent our family. And you need to conduct yourself in such a way that people will have good thoughts about our family. I don't mean that in a prideful way. I'm saying a good name is better to be chosen than great riches. Don't bring shame to our family by the way you act. Another thing I teach them, and I want you to really hear this one, is I also tell them you represent our church. And the way you conduct yourself in public is a reflection on our church, whether it should be or not. You also represent the family of God. The Bible says, and that's a sermon for another day, that we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. The Lord gave us his name through adoption and through marriage. And we're not to take that name and you and not. I'm not talking about the way you speak it. We're not to conduct ourselves in such a way that we bring shame to that name. You represent more than just yourself. And this father and his his oldest son the younger son brought great shame to them in the way that he conducted himself. <clears throat> and you know the story he goes on, talks about when he had spent all their Rosamati family in the land, and he goes on and tells the story that I've just told you. So the question is, have you ever done something that brought shame to yourself? Have you ever done something that brought shame to somebody else? Have you ever found yourself like Adam and Eve in the garden feeling like you need to cower down and you, there's just a sense of embarrassment and you feel uh, exposed like Adam and Eve did? Do you feel exposed before the public and feel shame? Do you feel exposed before God? This is, what I wanna, this is where I want to go with this. We have give, given the Lord more reason to be ashamed of us than time allows me to tell. We have got more reason for the Lord to hang his head and say, they're out in the pig slop. 
When the Lord is in heaven and He's walking around looking down, do you think He hangs His head and says, I'm ashamed of what they're doing? Now, the purpose of this sermon is that I want you to embrace what atonement really is. What forgiveness really is. Because a lot of times we don't. The Bible tells us that we have a brother. And his name is Jesus Christ. This prodigal had a brother, right? We have a brother. If you think back about the resurrection. And the women go to the tomb. And the Lord is not there. And they meet him on the way back to where the disciples are. And they meet the Lord and they realize he's the Lord. And here a resurrected Jesus stands, having suffered all the wrath for the sins of his people. High and lifted up, resurrected and defeated death. And he tells these women, go and tell what? Go and tell my brethren. That's Jesus Christ, our elder brother, calling us brothers and sisters. And the Bible tells us, even though he has got more reason to be ashamed of us. When he walks through the halls of heaven, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the second chapter. That he is not ashamed. To call us brethren. You ought to write that verse and stick it everywhere you go. That he is not ashamed to call us brethren, even though he should be. Why is he not? Because when the Lord looks down on us, he sees children washed white as snow through the blood of Jesus Christ. And yes, while we may sin and the spirit convicts us of our sin, the Lord looks at us as a washed, redeemed people. And he's not ashamed of us. That comforts me. Does it not comfort y'all? To think that the Lord looks on me even though I've given Him every reason. Even though I spend half of my days in the, in the hog slop in places I should have never been. Wasting away the blessings that God has given us. That He ought to walk down and say, oh angels, don't look over there. Don't look at my brother. I'm so ashamed of what this blood brought brother has done. But He doesn't do that. He says, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to call him my brother. He's my brother. You know, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it says this. We also have a father. The Bible speaks to all throughout the Bible that God is referred to as our father. And in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in verse 16, it says that he is not ashamed to be called their God. I want you to think about that. If sin is not convicting you, if, if you don't if you don't feel an awareness of your sin, this probably means nothing to you. But if you feel broken over the things that you have done and you realize that you are walking away from your father's house with a pocket full of blessings and you squander it and you don't live the life we ought to live and you're not pressing into the kingdom like the Lord tells us to, we ought to feel something about that. That ought to hurt us and break us. And just like the prodigal son did, we ought to say, I'm turning around and going back to my father. But the Bible says, even in that distant, rebellious state, that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And he's not ashamed to call us his children. 
And he's not ashamed to be our God. Now, in order for us to grasp that, you got to grasp atonement. You got to really grasp what forgiveness is. You know, I was going to preach a sermon one time, and I never did, on accepting forgiveness. You know, a lot of times we are forgiven, but we don't accept it and embrace it and move on with our life like we are. We like to kind of waller around in it some. So I want you to think back about your life, the things that you've done, the things that you will do. And I want you to think how much shame it ought to bring. But obviously the blood of Christ is so wonderful that even the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ, look at us and say, I'm not ashamed to call him my brother. I think about Josh and I got one brother and he's a good guy. Not ashamed of him at all. Love him. Best, one of the best guys I know. But you know, Josh could go out and live such a way and do things that if somebody said, are you Josh's brother? I'd kind of want to say no. Right? And he'd want to do the same for me. Like, yeah, sort of. Is Josh your brother? Mm, on paper. You know? <laughs> and God ought to do that to us. But He doesn't. And I think... What a wonderful picture it is for God standing up in heaven with Jesus Christ looking down on his people and Jesus looking at the Father and says, that's my brother. And the Lord looking at him and said, I'm their God. That's atonement. We ought to embrace it.